Psalm 119, Part 15 of the Treasury of David, Volume 6 by Charles Burgeon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Psalm 119, Part 15, verses 113 to 120. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. Depart from me, ye evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Hold thou me up, and I shall be safe, and I will have respect unto thy statutes continually. Thou hast trodden down all them that err from thy statutes, for their deceit is falsehood. Thou puttest away all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore I love thy testimonies. My flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. Verse 113 I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. In this paragraph the psalmist deals with thoughts and things and persons which are the opposite of God's holy thoughts and ways. He is evidently in great fear of the powers of darkness and of their allies, and his whole soul is stirred up to stand against them with a determined opposition. Just as he began the octave, verse 97, with, Oh, how I love thy law! So here he begins with a declaration of hatred against that which breaks the law. The opposite of the fixed and infallible law of God is the wavering, changing opinion of men. David had an utter contempt and abhorrence for this. All his reverence and regard went to the sure word of testimony. In proportion to his love to the law was his hate of man's inventions. The thoughts of men are vanity, but the thoughts of God are verity. We hold much in these days of men of thought, thoughtful preachers, and modern thought. But what is this but the old pride of the human heart? Vain man would be wise. The psalmist did not glory in his thoughts, and that which was called thought in his day was a thing which he detested. When man thinks his best, his highest thoughts are as far below those of divine revelation as the earth is beneath the heavens. Some of our thoughts are specially vain in the sense of vainglory, pride, conceit, and self-trust. Others in the sense of bringing disappointment, such as fond ambition, sinful dreaming, and confidence in man. Others in the sense of emptiness and frivolity, such as the idle thoughts and vacant romancings in which so many indulge. And yet once more, too many of our thoughts are vain in the sense of being sinful, evil, and foolish. The psalmist is not indifferent to evil thoughts, as the careless are, but upon them he looks with a hate as true as was the love with which he clung to the pure thoughts of God. The last octave was practical. This is thoughtful. There the man of God attended to his feet, and here to his heart. The emotions of the soul are as important as the acts of the life, for they are the fountain and spring from which the actions proceed. When we love the law, it becomes a law of love, and we cling to it with our whole heart. Verse 114. Thou art my hiding place, 
and my shield. To his God he ran for shelter from vain thoughts. There he hid himself away from their tormenting intrusions, and in solemn silence of the soul he found God to be his hiding place. When called into the world, if he could not be alone with God as his hiding place, he could have the Lord with him as his shield, and by this means he could ward off the attacks of wicked suggestions. This is an experimental verse, and it testifies to that which the writer knew of his own personal knowledge. He could not fight with his own thoughts, or escape from them, till he flew to his God, and there he found deliverance. Observe that he does not speak of God's word as being his double defense, but he ascribes that to God himself. When we are beset by very spiritual assaults, such as those which arise out of vain thoughts, we shall do well to fly distinctly to the person of our Lord, and to cast ourselves upon his real presence. Happy is he who can truly say to the triune God, Thou art my hiding place. He has beheld God under that glorious covenant aspect which ensures to the beholder the surest consolation. I hope in thy word. And well he might, since he had tried and proved it. He looked for protection from all danger, and preservation from all temptation, to him who had hitherto been the tower of his defense on former occasions. It is easy to exercise hope where we have experienced help. Sometimes when gloomy thoughts afflict us, the only thing we can do is to hope, and, happily, the word of God always sets before us objects of hope and reasons for hope, so that it becomes the very sphere and support of hope, and thus tiresome thoughts are overcome. Amid fret and worry, a hope of heaven is an effectual quietus. Verse 115. Depart from me, ye evildoers. Those who make a conscience of their thoughts are not likely to tolerate evil company. If we fly to God from vain thoughts, much more shall we avoid vain men. Kings are all too apt to be surrounded by a class of men who flatter them, and at the same time take liberty to break the laws of God. David purged his palace of such parasites. He would not harbor them beneath his roof. No doubt they would have brought upon him an ill name, for their doings would have been imputed to him, since the acts of courtiers are generally set down as the acts of the court itself. Therefore the king sent them packing bag and baggage, saying, Depart from me. Herein he anticipated the sentence of the last great day, when the son of David shall say, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. We cannot thus send all malefactors out of our houses, but it will often become a duty to do so where there is right and reason for it. A house is all the better for being rid of liars, pilferers, lewd talkers, and slanderers. We are bound at all hazards to keep ourselves clear of such companions as come to us by our own choice if we have any reason to believe that their character is vicious. Evil doers make evil counsellors. Those who say unto God, Depart from us, ought to hear the immediate echo of their words from the mouths of God's children, Depart from us, we cannot eat bread with traitors. For I will keep the commandments of my God since he found it hard to keep the commandments in the company of the ungodly, he gave them their marching orders. He must keep the commandments, but he did not need to keep their company. What a beautiful title for the Lord this verse contains. 
The word God only occurs in this one place in all this lengthened psalm, and then it is attended by the personal word, My. My God. My God, how charming is the sound, how pleasant to repeat. Well may that heart with pleasure bound, where God hath fixed his seat. Doddridge. Because Jehovah is our God, therefore we resolve to obey him, and to chase out of our sight those who would hinder us in his service. It is a grand thing for the mind to have come to a point, and to be steadfastly fixed in the holy determination, I will keep thy commandments. God's law is our pleasure, when the God of the law is our God. Verse 116 Uphold me according to thy word, that I may live. It was so necessary that the Lord should hold up his servant, that he could not even live without it. Our soul would die if the Lord did not continually sustain it, and every grace which makes spiritual life to be truly life would decay if he withdrew his upholding hand. It is a sweet comfort that this great necessity of upholding is provided for in the word, and we have not to ask for it as an uncovenanted mercy, but simply to plead for it as the fulfillment of a promise, saying, Uphold me according to thy word. He who has given us eternal life hath in that gift secured to us all that is essential thereto, and as gracious upholding is one of the necessary things, we may be sure that we shall have it. And let me not be ashamed of my hope. In verse 114 he had spoken of his hope as founded on the word, and now he begs for fulfillment of that word that his hope might be justified in the sight of all. A man would be ashamed of his hope if it turned out that it was not based upon a sure foundation. But this will never happen in our case. We may be ashamed of our thoughts, and our words, and our deeds, for they spring from ourselves. But we shall never be ashamed of our hope, for that springs from the Lord our God. Such is the frailty of our nature that unless we are continually upheld by grace, we shall fall so foully as to be ashamed of ourselves and ashamed of all those glorious hopes which are now the crown and glory of our life. The man of God had uttered the most positive resolves, but he felt that he could not trust in his own solemn determination. Hence these prayers. It is not wrong to make resolutions, but it will be useless to do so unless we salt them well with believing cries to God. David meant to keep the law of the Lord, but he first needed the Lord of the law to keep him. Verse 117. Hold thou me up, as a nurse holds up a little child. And I shall be safe, and not else, for unless thou hold me up, I shall be falling about like an infant that is weak upon its knees. We are saved by past grace, but we are not safe unless we receive present grace. The psalmist had vowed to keep the Lord's commands, but here he pleads with the Lord to keep him, a very sensible course of procedure. Our version reads the word uphold and then hold up. And truly we need this blessing in every shape in which it can come, for in all manner of ways our adversaries seek to cast us down. To be safe is a happy condition. There is only one door to it, and that is to be held up by God himself. Thank God that door is open to the least among us. And I will have respect 
unto thy statutes continually. In obedience is safety, in being held up is obedience. No man will outwardly keep the Lord's statutes for long, together, unless he has an inward respect for them, and this will never be unless the hand of the Lord perpetually upholds the heart in holy love. Perseverance to the end, obedience continually, comes only through the divine power. We start aside as a deceitful bow, unless we are kept right by him that first gave us grace. Happy is the man who realizes this verse in his life. Upheld through his whole life in a course of unswerving integrity, he becomes a safe and trusted man, and maintains a sacred delicacy of conscience which is unknown to others. He feels a tender respect for the statutes of the Lord, which keeps him clear of inconsistencies and conformities to the world that are so common among others, and hence he is a pillar in the house of the Lord. Alas, we know some professors who are not upright, and therefore they lean to sin till they fall over, and though they are restored, they are never safe nor reliable. Neither have they that sweet purity of soul which is the charm of the more sanctified who have been kept from falling into the mire. Verse 118 Thou hast trodden down all them that err from thy statutes. There is no holding up for them. They are thrown down, and then trodden down, for they choose to go down into the wandering ways of sin. Sooner or later God will set his foot on those who turn their foot from his commands. It has always been so, and it always will be so to the end. If the salt has lost its savor, what is it fit for but to be trodden under foot? God puts away the wicked like dross, which is only fit to be cast out as road metal to be trodden down. For their deceit is falsehood. They call it far-seeing policy, but it is absolute falsehood, and it shall be treated as such. Ordinary men call it clever diplomacy, but the man of God calls a spade a spade, and declares it to be falsehood and nothing less, for he knows that it is so in the sight of God. Men who err from the right road invent petty excuses with which to deceive themselves and others, and so quiet their consciences and maintain their credits. But their mask of falsehood is too transparent. God treads down falsehoods. They are only fit to be spurned by his feet and crushed into the dust. How horrible must those be who have spent all their lives in contriving a confectionary religion, and then see it all trodden upon by God as a sham which he cannot endure. Verse 119 Thou puttest away all the wicked of the earth like dross. He does not trifle with them, or handle them with kid gloves. No, he judges them to be the scum of the earth, and he treats them accordingly by putting them away. He puts them away from the church, away from their honors, away from the earth, and at last away from himself. Depart, saith he, ye cursed. If a good man feels forced to put away the evildoers from him, much more must the thrice holy God put away the wicked. They looked like precious metal. They were intimately mixed up with it. They were laid up in the same heap. But the Lord is a refiner and every day he removes some of the wicked from among his people, either by making a shameful discovery of their hypocrisy, or by consuming them from off the earth. They are put away as dross, never to be recalled. As the metal is the better for losing its alloy, 
so the church the better for having the wicked removed. These wicked ones are of the earth, the wicked of the earth, and they have no right to be with those who are not of the world. The Lord perceives them to be out of place and injurious, and therefore he puts them away, all of them, leaving none of them to deteriorate his church. The process will one day be perfect. No dross will be spared, no gold will be left impure. Where shall we be when that greatest work is finished? Therefore I love thy testimonies. Even the severities of the Lord excite the love of his people. If he allowed men to sin with impunity, he would not be so fully the object of our loving admiration. He is glorious in holiness, because he thus rids his kingdom of rebels, and his temple of them that defile it. In these evil days, when God's punishment of sinners has become the butt of proud skeptical contentions, we may regard as a mark of the true man of God that he loves the Lord none the less, but a great deal the more, because of his condign judgment of the ungodly. Verse 120 My flesh trembles for fear of thee. Such was his awe in the presence of the judge of all the earth, whose judgment he had just now been considering, that he did exceedingly fear and quake. Even the grosser part of his being, his flesh, felt a solemn dread at the thought of offending one so good and great, who would so effectually sever the wicked from amongst the just. Alas, poor flesh, this is the highest thing to which thou canst attain. And I am afraid of thy judgments. God's words of judgment are solemn, and his deeds of judgment are terrible. They may well make us afraid. At the thought of the judge of all, his piercing eye, his books of record, his day of assize, and the operations of his justice, we may well cry for cleansed thoughts and hearts and ways, lest his judgment should light on us. When we see the great refiner separating the precious from the vile, we may feel a godly fear, lest we should be put away by him and left to be trodden under his feet. Love in the previous verse is quite consistent with fear in this verse. The fear which hath torment is cast out, but not the filial fear which leads to reverence and obedience. End of part 15 of Psalm 119